You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Hello everyone, this is Cards and Cubes, episode 2, season 2. My name's Christo. I'm Trevor. And today we're going to be talking about serial games. Serial killer games. The games that serial killers play. Serial. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little weird uh, because it sounds very strange, but yeah, serial games. Uh, the games that kind of have a series of games, that kind of serial. Actually, it's funny, but every time I hear the word serial, I keep thinking of that movie Hackers from the 90s. There was a guy called, uh, ironically, not serial like the serial that we're talking about, but uh, serial killer, I think, with the cereal that you eat in the morning. So it was a <laughs> funny pun. <laughs> I was going to say, I keep thinking of like Captain Crunch and stuff. Yep, cereal. Not a sponsor. But uh, we're going to be talking about games which have a series of them. (laughs) So that's going to be kind of our uh, topic for the day. However, it sounds like Trevor has an exciting uh, trivia again. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, for our longtime listeners, uh, you may be familiar with the concept that only Hristo has to <laughs> keep his membership on the podcast up to date. Uh, nobody else, just just Risto. Uh, so once in a while we do some random trivia using stats provided by the f- good folks at Board Game Geek, or I guess it's really the, <laughs> the community that decides to provide statistics to, to Board Game Geek. It's always stats, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But this time we're going to swing to the other end of the spectrum. We've done top played. We've done top tens. We've we've done all the good stuff. Now we're going to do the the underdogs. Um, I'm looking at a page with stats for uh, game logged plays for the month of January 2022. And let's see if you can get just two of the bottom ten logged plays plays so the games that people logged the fewest plays for january 2022 fewest so i want there's very super obscure games that no one plays (laughs) no (laughs) and i'm I'm going to i'm going to give you uh, a hint well not a hint i'm going to give you some information the lowest played game still saw 95 plays by 84 separate users so, mm. it's not that the game is not loved by anyone and is super obscure. It's it's loved enough for people to want to tell BGG that they have played it. Um, and there are some games... I will say that there are games in here that, that you would recognize. It's not going to be necessarily all just dumb games that nobody ever wants to play. Although that's in the eye of the beholder, <laughs> you know. That's the funniest intro. Like, there are actually games here that you might recognize. <laughs> yes, yes. This is not... Good luck. This is not like dig into the recesses of your mind to find the games you hate. These are actually games that uh, I, I believe you actually like many of these games. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, when we talk about least played games, which are still being being played, I guess like once a month maybe by the entire world, I keep thinking of old games. But I would say like I was thinking initially something like Puerto Rico, but I think actually more people than 94 in the entire world are playing that game, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, maybe just because it's old. Um, I mean, it is not in the bottom. <laughs> uh, there, there's a new edition actually, which might have brought it to the table for some people. Um, gosh, there's just so many games that it could be. Uh, let's. I'll, I'll give you say, ten guesses. Let's say like Shipyard, for example. We were actually talking about that game. Is no, it, it isn't. That's an, an that old game that no one remembers ever. <laughs> I I will search. There's ten pages of this list. I actually will search later. Just to, I'm curious if anybody played that last month in January 2022. I'd be amazed if no one played it. But I mean, we're talking about an old game, the entire world. This is a very interesting statistic. I actually, usually you don't think about like the bottom played games uh, that no one plays. All right, let's just. Gosh, um, I'll give you for each uh, one that you miss or every couple that you miss. I'll give you. I'll try to give you clues. Dungeon Lords. Wrong. Oh. <laughs> uh, pff, corridor with the Q U O. No. Gosh. Maybe I'm not thinking like bad enough or something uh, no, or obscure there's... enough. Okay, so I'll give you another clue. There's a game on this list that I have played with you and I did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one that I brought, of course. Uh, oh, a ton, a ton. No. Oh, I'll, gosh. I'll give you another follow-up clue to that. You did not bring this game. What? Red Rising? That's impossible. No, I, I owned that one. So, Or I used to own that one. Oh. oh wait, that, there's, I, a, there's another clue. It's uh, I did not bring it either. Nor would I ever buy this game. I am so confused. Who even brings games? <laughs> Think <laughs> back a long time ago. <laughs> What? Um, there's some games. Gosh, I don't even know. <laughs> there was Bargain Hunter. That's a just a random game that no one plays, but someone might. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna fail. There's just so many games to choose are from. Are you? Are you courageously guessing these? Or are you? Courage oh my gosh! Are you Broom Service, the card game. Yeah. Ninety-four no. victims or seventy-four no. victims. <laughs> No, no, it wasn't Broom Service the card game. It was something. Uh, it was actually Broom Service the board game. <laughs> the board game has but, but the that fewest. Is, but that is not the lowest. It's in the bottom ten. That's amazing because I would actually think board, uh, Broom Service is a more popular game because it's actually like a decent like family game. I think I don't know. That's yeah, crazy. It, it that got it's the 107 lowest. plays, which is, I guess, still a decent amount. Um, that is not the game I was talking about that I didn't like because I. I like Broom Service just fine. But yeah, that is uh, that is one of the games in so the, the bottom. So I accidentally guessed a different game. Um, hmm, that's very interesting. I don't know. Hmm, hmm. A game that's courage. Oh, the one that I can't remember the name. No, but, that, that uh, was just a, the courageous or, or 
or afraid or coward that that was the broom service clue oh i see um i was gonna say the game that you brought by um the one that you have to like guess cards and i can't even remember how it plays exactly but you guess each other's cards and uh you have to if they have the cards kind of like a go fish uh and then some if you collect four cards you win the game uh i can't remember what are it's you called. talking is that like the fister game greed gear yes yes gear yep yep that's one of the I guests w- just from i would me. also suspect that that game has zero plays but uh i will check that is wrong <laughs> <laughs> i i would actually be surprised if i saw that one on this on this list but i will check that later gosh all right uh, your next clue G- for genoa, the- genoa let's sure uh, let's say genoa genoa or is- traders of genoa genoa is also wrong um, I don't know. Like I say, there's a lot of games to choose from. Here's, and here's another. Here's another clue for the one I didn't like. Um, no vowels. No vowels. Byword? Is it the word game? The this is not the name of the game, but that's a clue for something I experienced when I played the game. No vowels. Vowels like letters, vowels like A O U I E. Correct. Is it the word game? Because I'm really drawing a blank. It uh, it's a trading game or a negotiations game. Wow, that's weird. Maybe I've erased my memory of this game because like (laughs) we both didn't enjoy it or something. No, I think you actually like this game. And I'm very disturbed because someone else brought it who is not me or you. So that's very unusual because usually we play like minor year games or someone else's, but I doubt that he would bring that game. Yeah, Um, we, uh, we played this at Demolition Games. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, And... Yeah, I don't know. There Sorry. were like seven people playing it. Sidereal Confluence? Yep. That's, That's the actually, one. I would actually think that people, more people play that game, but weird. It's not that played, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that. <laughs> <laughs> also, no, I'm, it's, I'm it's trying not to curiously. It's a bad game. I just didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, but there's Dawn of Mankind on there, like another random game that wasn't that great, in my opinion wrong no it's not on there. well or, it's not in the bottom i don't know where it is on the list if it is on the list also there's a reiner knitsche game that i'm furiously trying to look up which involves co- flipping over tokens on a board and you're collecting these like royals and the queen died or something the king died i think and there's like a king and queen track and i'm trying to look up the name but another game where it's like who would play that this? is uh, also not on the list well, you you you've you've guessed two of them, the ones I thought you would maybe get out of, out of the list. So you're you're safe. You stay on the on the podcast. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and tell you what the bottom ten are, starting from, I guess number one is I don't know what actual number it is, but we'll I'll number ten is the bottom. Uh, so number one would be stockpile. Was 111 times. Moonrakers was 110 times. Never heard of it. Broom Service was 107. Fresco was 107. Trap Words, 106. Gingerbread House, 
was 106 as well. Nations, 105. Sidereal Confluence, 100. Eclipse was 99. And Dominant Species was 95. I wonder if they cut something because, like, 95, is that the lowest game recorded? Yeah, so there's... It could be, this is a, a possibility, the get, so there's only 10 pages of list, so oh, I don't know I if see. they like stop at 10 pages on BGG, or because yep. I, I imagine there's a game out there with one play. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. No, that's what I was going to say, is there's probably like, as the lower you go, the more it gets like the larger amount of games there are so they probably cut it at 10 pages otherwise it'd be like basically <laughs> all the all the games on bgg yeah. and like one 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 yeah it would so be I'd like bet. thousands of pages <laughs> so it's probably like the bottom like 50 percent quartile is what i would say or the quartile yeah. it's not a quartile if it's 50 percent 50 percent like bottom half yeah so like i said yeah. the, the games on this list are not they're not bad games they're just games that didn't get tons of plays in comparison and what i'm noticing about these two they're generally kind of some or a lot of these are kind of bigger games um they have the the unique users that logged these plays almost in in all of these cases almost matches the number of plays so it it seems like maybe different people are playing the games uh and and not necessarily tons of repeat plays on, on these particular ones, which is kind of what you'd expect with some of these games. Yep. Kind of larger. I'm, I'm surprised about Dominant Species. I would actually think that's like an amazingly good game in my opinion. However, it's also kind of rough and confrontational and it also takes like three hours, I think, or two hours and a half. So it's kind of a commitment. And yeah. yeah kind of thick gameplay where not many people would play it. But by the way, FYI, if anyone's curious about like a pretty average-ish to very not <laughs> worth mentioning game, Aristocracy by Reiner Knizia is the one that I was thinking about with flip tiles and set collection to score points basically like random choose three tiles and flip them and it, the idea is kind of cool but it's just an okay game well there you went you mentioned it yep not worth <laughs> mentioning but it got mentioned uh, this would be where it got mentioned is like the bottom whatever of games that are still maybe being played so it's not like extremely terrible but i would not be surprised if like 50 people played it in the entire month in the entire world <laughs> yeah uh it could that's that's probably right yep anyway yeah well, congratulations Risto. you're allowed to stay on the podcast for at least one more episode amazing uh, i'm so excited uh, yeah yeah good job <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right cool uh, so that was the trivia for today, and let's just go into the topic of serial games. A very serial topic. Serious? Yes. Anyway. Sounds yummy. So basically, I was just going to do kind of like an intro of what I was thinking about when I was thinking about the topic, because it was my suggestion. Uh, recently, I played a bunch of games. Uh, spoilers, it's the Century games. Um, uh, like Century A New World, uh, Century a Spice Road, Century a Spice Road. Gosh, 
I can't even remember. What it's Century it's Spice Road. Century Spice Road and Century Eastern Wonders, I think, is the third one. Yeah. So, yeah, the there was kind of a series of games with kind of similar mechanics. So the weird thing is, like, I was thinking about there's a bunch of that happening in board game worlds. There's a few different situations of games that are kind of like turn into a series of games and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And actually there's other times where games kind of adopt like a franchise name. There's also other times where games specifically want to differentiate themselves by choosing a different name. So we were just going to kind of have a short topic about discussing uh, serial games. Yeah, so like kind of what is a what series makes them or serial, serial? I guess. Yeah. yeah, and and one, <laughs> I actually just thought of this. Um, you're probably familiar with um, Alea Games. Yep. Who actually? <laughs> I like Alea Games a the, lot. Actually, yeah. just the format, the price, the box size, everything's just kind of cool. Yeah, no, they have a lot of great games, but they actually, I don't know if they still do this. Actually, I just looked at my box of Carpe Diem that came out like in the last year or two. Yeah, it, they still do it. <laughs> uh, they number them. They, and they have number, the same format. Yeah. Yep. They number their games. So there's there is a type of serial game for you, Risto. It's on the box. <laughs> They're numbered. Number. They One, are two, serialized. <laughs> and and the, there you go. Uh, so that's that's serial games. Everybody, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, they, the games have no connection. So I don't think that's really a legitimate way to talk about it. but uh, you mentioned one way you could think of a serial game is they adopt kind of an ip right so they're in the same universe of games um particularly as of late there are quite a few for example dune games coming out yep you know we had dune imperium there was the gale force 9 dune in 2019 and then there's the recent 2021 or 2022 uh watering down of that game uh what what do you think about serial games in the context of of uh of themes because uh i'm gonna have you convince me that that's a serial game yeah i'm not sure myself that it's a serial game uh, speaking of dune there's also the re- resistance implement re-implementation i think it's called dune like betrayal i think or something which is not like betrayal in on the house of the hill it's a more like a resistance i think uh also there's dune detective which we played yeah. and miserably failed at but <laughs> anyway um I was also thinking about the franchise in terms of like Star Wars and that's like an insanely wide and huge and large franchise and like I don't know if that's really a serial game in the sense that I was thinking about it because there's a Star Wars miniature game there's a Star Wars like unlock or something there's basically like all kinds of things called Star Wars uh, there's Star Wars board games like the gosh what's it called uh, the one where you it's Rebellion? a two player, two player game yes uh, the Rebellion yeah there's Rebellion and Outer Rim, or is Outer Rim minis? I can't remember. Um, yeah, but anyway, like X Wing and Ramada, Armada, uh, not Ramada, <laughs> Armada. <laughs> like yeah, like you run a hotel. <laughs> yeah, you run a space hotel. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but anyway, Star Wars is just a huge franchise that's just 
like you could have a lot of different games about it and i don't know if that's really our topic for today i was more thinking about something more narrow because yeah once you start associating with movies and stuff it just kind of gets like very abstract about is this like yeah would like if you like star wars rebellion are you gonna like the star wars unlock maybe if you're a huge star wars fan but like the mechanics are completely different and the designers are not even close the publisher is probably different so it's just like i don't know <laughs> i guess it has the star wars name uh, it's more <laughs> yeah. like a franchise game in my opinion in that sense yeah, I would agree. I think what comes to mind when I think of this phrase, and actually, to be honest, I don't know if this is a phrase that's widely used, serial games. Um, oh, yeah, that definitely isn't. <laughs> that's the other uh, funny thing is we just kind of made it up. Yeah, because like, I'm, I'm, this is, this, uh, well, w- trigger alert everybody this episode is going to get really dark i i think of this in like when i when i compare it to like serial killer shows and movies that i've seen right and and those are based around a set of operations of how a person works right well without getting in, into too many details <laughs> That's very clinical so yeah i, I don't want, <laughs> i don't want to get it too much into that uh but basically so when i'm thinking of serial games i'm thinking of games that kind of have the same flavor and not necessarily theme and you'll probably talk about that when you uh go through your century games a bit and i incidentally also lately have played a lot of the azul series um so we can talk about that more later but yeah I'm, i'm thinking of games that kind of you know maybe the designer or group of designers that started out with an idea have over time iterated on that same system in a game and sort of re-implemented it and you know improved it or maybe not improved it depending on how you feel about a particular iteration um, over time yep i was gonna say that maybe it's also my word choice because like maybe i want it to be like weird and funny but maybe i should we should have called it like game series because i've definitely heard of people and you would say like the azul series the century series so there's definitely a thing called like you know a series of games that like you say share mechanics uh but yeah um there are some games which um by the mechanics i guess their game series and actually i have kind of the um an example here of a game i recently thought about uh which is wildlands uh wildlands was actually remade as judge dread i think it's called now or i guess they i think actually the funny thing is they're both in print or maybe they stopped printing wildlands and started printing judge dread or something but i think it's the exact same game with just a different skin and um i think that's kind of an attempt to kind of maybe even though judge dread is like a really weird uh franchise to associate the game with some kind of franchise and like uh, maybe tell people like this is actually a fun game give it a try and you might have fun and it's a little weird but judge dread yeah and yeah, we had as Martin opposed Wallace to like wildlands it, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think there's also that going on sometimes and i don't know if like judge dread is a 
like sequel of Wildlands. It's more like the same game. But I guess if the Martin Wallace designed like a different game with similar mechanics, that would be more like what we're what we're actually talking about. Um, there's also like the opposite thing. Um, I was uh, also recently noticing that Blood Rage is actually not an original game. It's a reimplementation of Midgard, which is uh, Eric Lang's like earlier game. Which I think I don't know how much of the same it is. I've never played Midgard, but I was kind of surprised because I actually thought Blood Rage was an original game, but like i don't know why he would choose to not make like a midgard universe or something and just kind of uh, make his games that way maybe that's just his preference what do you think about that Trevor? yeah it's i i swear now that i'm thinking about this i swear i've heard a, an interview with eric lang where he talks about midgard and wanting to go back to that and that's kind of where blood rage came in so um, he has regrets is what you're saying that he didn't actually do it <laughs> he didn't do it right the first time i think midgard has a bunch of like wooden pawns instead of um you know the the simon minis um but actually this is a really interesting point because uh blood rage in started a different series right because eric lang designed blood rage then he designed um what's it called rising sun and then he designed uh ankh right which are spiritual successors to you know to each other so they're all that's they're interesting like, yeah would you call those spiritual successors i think they're kind of unique enough maybe yeah they, they're they're not quite what we're getting at with serial games but they are all kind of in his trilogy of those types of skirmish war type games um and and you can see how he's taken ideas and they're all like you said very different from each other but they all kind of do similar things just in different ways so it's it's kind of funny actually uh you can see the evolution of eric lang's design if you look at midgard to blood rage to rising sun to ankh um, I just thought of the funniest experiment. Uh, this is kind of a segue about something that we were talking about before the show, but another game with very recognizable, repeatable designs, since repeatable to some extent, like recognizable, I guess you should say, is Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, we keep joking that he designs kind of the same game over and over with different, I don't know, like uh, boxes and cards and stuff, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's kind of the same game. Uh, so I was just thinking, like if what if uh they blindfold now not blindfold you but they don't like tell you who designed the game and like uh that that would be an interesting experiment if you can recognize a game just by playing it if it's like an eric lang game or a nuve game that'd be kind of kind of interesting because uh yeah like you say they do have a a distinct feeling but i kind of wonder if it's because you know up front that it's an eric lang game or is it like strong enough that you would be able to recognize it that's yeah, yeah. maybe well, we, it, should, we should try that someday yeah, if it's slappy <laughs> enough i think it's an eric lane game <laughs> yeah but actually yeah we could probably just give some games to the behavioral analysis unit of the fbi and they could tell you who it is 
Yeah, <laughs> I would I would like to say that a Nuve game I should be able to actually recognize it because they're yeah they're very distinct. Eric Lang maybe maybe not. I don't know. There's he does have a distinct feeling about his games, but I don't know if they're like that similar. I feel like Uve games are more serialized to some extent. Yeah, well, Uve gets a little cocky too, and like has a, has a little like cartoon version of himself in his rule books. So oh. uh, he'd be easy to <laughs> easy to. Well, <laughs> you, you can't let me read the rule book then i guess yeah <laughs> although if i saw that and i wouldn't like if i didn't recognize his face another person who likes doing that is i think friedman freeze he always has these like weird characters in his rule books or himself like explaining to you rules in like side boxes and That's i always exactly think it's kind, what of, Uwe does. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> it's like oh my gosh like kind of i roll my eyes every time i hit those boxes but i guess it's kind of cute and fun and yeah. makes the rule book it breaks up the rule book a little bit so it's not super monotone i wonder if that's like a generational thing i, I wonder if uve, if uh uve and, and friedman freeze are like the same age <laughs> yeah maybe I don't but know. uh yeah no but i see so your pact of like boxes and rule books yeah yeah i mean but to your point um yeah i would actually kind of say that uve's designs not every single game but um you could probably take subcategories or subgroups of his designs and i would say that they are quote serialized as we're you know sort of framing that in that uve very much um maybe to a greater degree than a lot of other designers iterates on his own designs and releases games of what i would call middle points right so maybe some designers kind of uh, well, the, the way the way I might compare it is, we were just talking about Blood Rage to Rising Sun to uh, to Ankh. Uh, Uve would release something in like three or four games in between each of those, so that you could see how Blood Rage got to Rising Sun, which then got <laughs> <Very> to <granular. laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, because Uve releases so many games, and you can see kind of the DNA shared between them. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's just if you release more games, we kind of know more of how your mind works <laughs> and then we can trace the games, which is exactly what's happening with the 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 Century games, right? I think it's uh, Emerson Matsuchi, right? I think so. The funny thing is I didn't even uh, check who designed them and I'm going to talk about them, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Michael Kiesling did Azul and there's other games that he's worked on with... Uh, with Kramer, like the Tikal series. I mean, there's only two games in that series, but they kind of share similar DNA and, and iterate on similar systems. Um, so yeah, but I would, I, I would actually say if there were a designer out there whose games you could call serial games, it would be, it would be Uwe Rosenberg because they, they definitely have a certain type of flavor and use a lot of the same mechanical ideas. Yeah, but I think the most obvious thing about to kind of sum it up is uh, why people do this and why designers do this or publishers, I guess, is I think because of the name recognition. So if you liked one of the series, it's very easy to kind of get you to buy maybe or look into at least the other games in the series because you know what the game is. And even though it might not be the same game, you kind of know kind of the mechanics and you might if you like one of them you might like them all so just like an easy way for them to kind of introduce you to a game series of theirs 
And uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest uh, draw for them. I think for designers also, if they initiate it, I don't know if it's like a publisher or a designer decision, uh, maybe it's they're not done with like the mechanism and they just want to like explore it more and publish different games. In Uva's case, I guess he's been exploring it for quite a while. And as long as they keep selling, I guess <laughs> he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll keep exploring the, yeah. the mechanics. And like you say, it's very gradual. You can see kind of the shifts in between them. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that um, you could release all these different games under different names, but uh, it, it's so easy to sell something that is under the same name. Um, and sometimes it may not actually work out the way you'd hoped for it to, right? So so the one example recently is the Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, right? <laughs> no reason in the world for that to be Terraforming Mars, right? But it's a very well-recognized name, and people love that name, so it probably sells really well, right? Uh, conversely, yeah. uh, can you think of one that did not <laughs> probably have the intended uh. effect? Actually, I can think of one that's really funny. I don't know if you're thinking of the same one, but there is 5211 Azul Edition, which I don't know <laughs> Actually, what, I wasn't Azul, thinking of that. what Azul has to do with 5211, other than I think it's the same publisher. So I think uh, it's the same syndrome as Wildlands versus Just Bread. Like, they're kind of like... Designed 5211, I think, and I like, printed it, and people weren't super enthused about it because, like, 5211 sounds like really boring and whatever, just four numbers. Uh, I think it's actually a pretty cool, decent card game, by the way. Uh, but yeah, I think they slapped the Azul name next to it so that people would actually, like, look at 5211 uh, and just kind of the same thing, like, check this game out. It actually is decent. Uh, and we it has promise. nothing to do. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Azul. It has no drafting. It's just a completely different like card game with set collection stuff. It's is just, that like, already weird. out? Uh, Azul? Yeah, yeah. No, I was joking about it like two years ago, I think. Oh, okay. Um, I've, was, I've actually never seen it, and I've never seen anybody playing it. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I was going to say, I think it was not overly successful because the people, I actually don't want the Azul edition. Like, I, I think I had the opportunity to buy either edition when I was buying mine and I bought the original edition because I just don't want my game to be called 5211 Azul. I just want 5211. Yeah. Like, I, don't, yeah. I don't want the Azul art. I want like a, a new game because it has nothing to do with Azul. I just see that in particular cases, like pure marketing and i kind of don't like that so yeah but no it's been out for a while actually and i don't think people like that edition in particular I, I, we also have a friend who has the original and it's not like i'm gonna like go and upgrade it or something that's just ridiculous <laughs> so yeah. yeah anyway uh the the one example really quick before we move on uh to kind of talking about specific games um I was thinking of, and this is not really serial, this is maybe trying to cash in on the same IP, uh, but just like uh, the disaster that was Founders of Gloomhaven. Oh, yeah. Um, that's that's pretty massive one, yep. Yeah, it's in no way a serial game. It's just a different, entirely different game set in the same universe. But I think it, it kind of plays into what we're talking about, that a serial game series, you know, kind of brings in your same audience and so you want to maybe be careful about that because 
the audience for Gloomhaven, the big game, is not the same audience, probably in most cases, you know, except for us and whoever else likes Founders, uh, is not the same audience for Founders of Gloomhaven, which is a pretty heavy Euro style game. Although Gloomhaven is kind of Euro in Euro inspired dungeon crawl. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like not at all the same audience. So I think there was a huge like buzz around Founders of Gloomhaven when it was coming out, and you still see stores with just dozens of copies that they can't sell because it the the part the, you know the group that liked Gloomhaven is not the group that doesn't appeal to the same people for Founders yep. of Gloomhaven. No, that's a very good example, actually, because that's a very interesting case. It's the same designer as well, so I think he also chose it to be called Founders of, Glo- of Gloomhaven. And yeah, that's a complete miss as far as, unlike the Century games or the Azul games, which do have very close mechanics, Founders has it like exactly the opposite, I think, of what most people who play a lot of like dungeon crawl games, even though they might be, like you say, more less dice rolling, more strategic. I think Founders is like like a splatter game, basically. That's what it reminds me of. It's like really not dungeon crawly, and it's like a really huge miss as far as connectedness between them, <laughs> other than just like an artificial name. I really feel like Founders should have been called something else, and uh, it's been insane how like how much it's been on sale, and it's a pretty uh, large game with like lots of custom pieces, lots of paper. I think it co- probably cost a lot to produce and I, th- I think it's been on sale several times for like 20 bucks which is just crazy yeah for I think I bought it game. for like 15 dollars <laughs> yep so but it's uh, it's a really good game if you like splatter like games but I think people like you say coming from Gloomhaven the dungeon crawl will be like what the heck is this yeah yeah <laughs> just like what exactly so, yeah but I, I there's actually I'm actually glad that it has the same theme because I really like Gloomhaven and I have a lot of fun with founders because of the setting i i enjoy i mean the theme kind of goes away but when you're playing it but i do enjoy the theme of founders and it's i think it's a really cool game so yeah for me it worked yeah (laughs) it it doesn't detract from it it's just kind of a weird choice and like you say the theme could have been anything i think actually for founders yeah, yeah. The the one thing that ties it into Gloomhaven is faction powers, but I don't know necessarily that the powers you have in Gloomhaven are so tied to the nature of the factions you're playing that it couldn't have been something else. Yeah, true. Yep. So anyway, uh, I think maybe we jump into some specific games and kind of talk about uh, talk about that. You've been playing a lot of Century lately, it sounds like. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, I just wanted to list, uh, just to kind of close it off, also some examples of exactly the serialness I was thinking about before we go into it. Uh, so Azul, like Trevor is saying, Century, which we're going to talk about, uh, Azul series, Century series. Another one that I was thinking about is the something of Midgard or the Midgard, but not the Eric Lang Midgard, I guess. Like Reavers of Midgard, Champions of Midgard, I think they probably have more coming out. That's kind of a series of games, which I don't know, that that kind of approaches the uh, very different mechanics, but I guess the theme is kind of unified and I don't know if the designers are the same. Um, 
something for the galaxy as well uh race for the galaxy which turned into roll for the galaxy which turned into jump drive uh which, which turned, turned into, into Ares expedition <laughs> oh oh Ares expedition no i refuse but <laughs> gosh i keep forgetting it's not a new dawn new frontiers new frontiers so the funny thing is the latest game which is basically race for the galaxy the board game so it went from a card game to the board game is called new Frontiers, so it's not new frontiers for the galaxy or something which sounds kind of silly so that's probably why they didn't do it <laughs> but anyway there's also a bunch of valeria games like uh, card kingdoms of valeria something valeria margraves of valeria i think uh that, anyway i don't play those games as you can tell how excited i am about it but i know that there's a lot of valeria fans uh and there's a kind of a series of games coming out i think those are very ma closely matched as far as mechanics go uh, actually speaking of which i'm thinking about also evolution is a pretty huge series which i also don't particularly enjoy to say the least but uh that's a pretty huge series which is focused on well evolution like animals kind of competing with each other uh so that's a pretty huge series we're actually talking about Catan. i feel like Catan's basically not even a series it's almost like the same game really but that could be considered a series maybe the biggest series in the entire world if you consider it the series like we're talking about yeah it almost feels like the different versions of it are just kind of expansions yes it's like expansions on the the same game is what i feel there's just larger and larger actually someone was saying that stars stars starfares of Catan, uh that supposedly has something different and i was kind of interested in what kind of different stuff it might be because to me it looked like the exact same game but just in space so i thought it's just a facelift or something or just a theme difference but apparently not so maybe i'll check it out um just kind of curious what it is uh the another one which actually um is like kind of not name connected which is weird is cottage garden indian summer spring meadow the puzzle laying or puzzle series by uve rosenberg um i think he also specifically said that with those three games he wanted to explore kind of the tile laying tetris type thing and they're very closely related as far as mechanics but i think every game feels very kind of distinct ish uh between there's them. actually uh oh sorry were you mentioning other ones no, um, not really. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I had one that uh, comes to mind that it is an incomplete series. Um, it's vast. Oh yeah. Um, there's currently two versions of. I've I've listened to uh, so Leader Games does designer talks like every month, I think, and Patrick Leader has talked about ideas he has for future vast games. Um, I don't know if they'll ever get published because The Last Vast kind of didn't do so well. But anyway, he he mentioned that he has ideas for future Vast games. So, um, yeah, the, Vast series. That yeah, could be a the thing. Vast series is a thing. Um, you could even think of Root and like I, Oath, I guess like maybe. Oath because yeah. like that's kind of Cole Worley, uh, his design theory and, and approach uh working out kind of similar to uve you can you can definitely tell i think when you're playing a cole whirly game 
because uh, they they all they kind of share similarities between them. Like Pax Pamir has some similarities to Oath, and Oath has some similarities to Root, and I'm sure his future games will kind of have that similar feel. I, I haven't played John Company yet, but uh, that that one does seem different. But I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe feel similar. But Vast for sure is like a seri a serial game type thing because it's taking the same system and just kind of tweaking it and working with it to to yep. make it feel different. That's also a good example because it's kind of very similar, but completely different. Well, kind of completely different gameplay from the first game. So, yeah. Yep, you can kind of see the similarities, but... But anyway, um, so Century, uh, Trevor has been only played the second, actually, Century game, uh, which is kind of weird because i feel like the first game was very very popular for a while um and i'm surprised you didn't play it somehow you escaped the uh, time when i think a lot of people are playing it around like 2018 17 yeah i think we were just still stuck in splendor land for this type of game yeah very similar to splendor but i think some people are like saying oh it replaces splendor or something um i don't know if it replaces splendor but the first game, which is called Century, just Century Spice Road, not a Spice Road. Well, yeah, Spice Road makes sense because like historical, this historical Spice Road. Uh, Century Spice Road, that game came out in 2017. And I feel like it's actually a very, very simple game. Um, if you've played the second one, it's basically the gist of the century games is resource conversion um so usually there's kind of contracts or whatever they're called the deliveries i think depending on what which game you're playing uh but you're usually in all the games what unifies them is um i think the same designer let me see yes it is the same designer emerson matsuchi and obviously publisher same publisher plan b games uh, but what unifies them is you produce resources, you convert them to better resources or more. Like you can, the theme of the game is kind of like make them better or break up a better resource into the preceding resources, but get more of them. So basically just generate more and more resources to fulfill contracts. And uh, most, mostly all the games, actually I think all, all games also have a shared ending condition, which is someone achieves uh, their like sixth contract or something, or maybe depending on which game you're playing, it's a different number. But as soon as a number of contracts have been fulfilled, the game just ends. Whoever has the most points wins. So the first one, you are playing with just cards. The game is just cards and cubes. <laughs> Get it? Cards and cubes. This game was made for us. Yeah, this game is basically us in a box. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can see us on the cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that actually would be the representative game. Oh, just kidding, crap. It it does have coins, unfortunately. I forgot about the coins. Uh, the coins are actually very inconsequential, <laughs> but they're like one or two points. But there are coins as well, so it's not just card and cubes. Cards and cubes, sorry. I lied. Oh, we'll, we'll have to change our name to cards and cubes and coins. Cards and cubes and coins, yeah. The, you, you heard it here first. <laughs> but anyway, the game is extremely simple. I might as well, like, basically, you can probably sit down and just play it after the explanation I gave previously. Uh, on your turn, you're either playing a card or 
you are picking up your cards or you're fulfilling a contract. That's the game. So the cards have either produce, convert, produce or convert. That's it. And you literally just look at the picture and do what's shown on the picture. So if it shows two yellow cubes going to green cubes, that's what you do. And green cubes are, pro are better. That's, that's the entire thing about the game. Uh, interesting thing with the game is uh, if you're converting not producing because production is just literally what's shown if you're converting you can run the conversion multiple times so like if you want to be super efficient and strategic you get multiple input cubes so with one card you can run the conversion multiple times which is increased efficiency and yay um so it's very very simple and i actually did not particularly like the game that much because it's just too simple and it did kind of remind me of Splendor in a way. I think it has a little bit more going on than Splendor, but it is very similar to Splendor. And I feel like there's just kind of a lot of luck. You don't see the whole deck with contracts, obviously. So someone might be favored by the cards that come out because they got a lot of cards that convert to like pink and there's a pretty good variety so yeah it's sort of balanced but like maybe the pink cards are contracts are on the bottom of the deck and you don't see them and yeah anyway it it usually works out it's a good time it's just not very strategic that's that was my kind of um you, there's some decisions to be made but that was kind of what i felt like after playing the game just kind of like it's okay but anyway uh, so Trevor has not played that one. Do you feel like you can play the game after that explanation, yeah, Trevor? Yeah, well, I've, I've played the second one, which I think just takes this and adds a little more interest to it. So, yep. but I, I can see what you're saying. Like, it's, it's maybe not very much game there. Yeah, um, just play cards, convert, pick up cards. And that's, that's probably why I never really went for it, because I have Splendor, and, like, I, I was... Just kind of, th I remember my thought process being, ah, oh, this is kind of like, I don't know, maybe a very, very similar type of game. And I don't really, I just, I, I never really felt motivated to, to dive into Century. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. I know you usually also like kind of heavier games and you're less tolerant than me, I think, even of, <laughs> yeah. of uh, games like this. So I'm not surprised just in general. Yeah. I actually sometimes like these like BS kind of more lucky games that are more family oriented, but this one not so much, to be honest. Uh, fine thing I should mention about this game is uh, speaking of marketing and selling out, I feel like that's like a purely marketing thing because they introduced the golem edition i think actually that was shortly after the second game they went back and re-released the first game the spice road uh edition as the crystal golem edition so and it's called caravan apparently is that actually true i didn't know it had different names or maybe i'm looking at bgg here or something different but anyway it's the exact same game just not with like euro boring art with camels and deserts which is oh an endless world yeah i found it yeah uh not apparently not uh there's kind of more different theme maybe more exciting for some people that don't care about camels and deserts <laughs> <laughs> no, Riso, trading in the Mediterranean is exactly yeah. what board gaming is all about. Uh, uh, speaking of brownness, also like the cover is not brown. So if you don't like brown, you get the Golem edition, but you're playing the exact same game. Yeah, it actually you get has pink and blue and... 
it actually has uh, crystals also instead of cubes, so not approved by cards and cubes because it has to be cards and cubes. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is uh, it it's, uh, does not get our seal of approval. It gets the seal of disapproval. So, a funny thing, but it, initially it wasn't actually clear if they're going to make the second one as the Golem version of it. So, there was some confusion there. But nowadays, all three exist in the Euro version with the brown box, and all three exist in the Golem version with the colorful crystals. Uh, so, you can take your pick, I guess. But they're they exactly gonna, the same games. Are they going to re release the second game as the double Golem version? <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be a third theme. That'd be a little overkill. So, anyway. But anyway, enough about theme. So, the second one, which Trevor has played actually, which is amazing because he can actually uh, participate in this, <laughs> is the Eastern Wonders. Uh, so, it's Century Eastern Wonders. Unlike the first one, where it's just cards and cubes and coins, sadly, this one actually has somewhat of a board. And apparently there's even a mat for it. I don't know if there's a that's a promo. I've never played it with a mat, but someone has a picture of a mat. I don't know if they made it, but that's really cool because it actually makes it look like a legit full board game. Was this ever Kickstarter? I didn't think this was a Kickstarter, maybe. No, I don't think so. No, no. this was direct to retail. Never Kickstarter, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes they do these things in kickstarters but i bet it's a fan thing like someone actually made it and printed it uh, as their own mat and that's actually a really cool idea because it looks really cool if you like the game and uh spoilers actually this is probably my favorite of the series because it's just my favorite and i'll explain why maybe but uh, like the first game what you're doing is basically converting generating converting resources and then fulfilling contracts however this game has something interesting going on which unlike the first game where you to convert you just like play cards that you've acquired so kind of deck building this game the conversions are on the board so you can see the entire board and you have these kind of movement points allowances and you can pay for more movement with cubes actually ideally the crappiest cubes that you just want to throw away so you're not throwing away a lot of value but you can move around the board and kind of plan your route and plan conversions and the contracts are actually in a physical place again not like the first game where anyone on their turn can just do any contract in this one you have to sell your boat to the contract and fulfill it at the place where it fulfills and it actually has a clever mechanic there as well where another contract pops up but it like it pops up in a different place and there's this empty place where it moves around the board the point being if you accidentally get a contract that you can just fulfill randomly you actually have to move to a different place to do it you can't just sit in the same place and if you have lots of cubes and get lucky fulfill in like a series of contracts um there's also like a thing where you can place your outposts uh actually i think in this game you have to place your outposts when you do the conversion on the tiles they cost something and you get these power-ups and points when you reveal columns and of your board so as you can also tell the game has a little bit more going on and that's actually something i appreciated actually i think also why i like this game the most is you can see all the conversions on the board. They're shared between people and you can basically plan much more than the first game. First game is basically like, did you get the right cards and did it all work out in this kind of slightly chaotic way? This one, you can actually plan a lot more and the only thing is the random reveal of contracts, but uh, I think it's 
probably the most under control game of the entire series and it feels kind of like an abstract game of um, just kind of planning the best and most efficient route so anyway yeah what did you feel like uh, while playing this game Trevor did you like it and stuff and yeah I yeah I think that this is a great game and by the way I actually was while you're talking I was searching on the plan B website it looks like they do sell playmats oh so it is official um, but at, like, at least I found it for Spice Road I haven't found the other ones yet cool yep. but I noticed that because I was looking at the Gollum East, the Eastern Mountains, which is the same game, uh, just yep. in, in the Goms, uh, and there's a one with a playmat that looks cool. Uh, but yeah, I actually really did like this game. Um, so I played the Mountains one, not the m- Boats one, because m- trading in the Mediterranean, ew. Yep, <laughs> yep exactly. <laughs> uh, the funniest thing is actually uh, the game does have a theme, surprisingly, and uh, you're trading in the Spice Islands, and the person that uh, was going to teach the game that one time that I recently played it, they actually thought it's a made-up thing, but actually the Spice Islands are a real thing, and they're like in Indonesia, uh, so the British Empire, obviously, they had like trade with them, and they did historically bring in and new spices and stuff so it did that definitely you would not think of this as like a historically accurate game but it does have some like realism to the to the story about it not the yeah. golem edition though i think i was gonna say I, I remember learning about giant mountain golems bringing in these massive gems oh yeah was that like around the renaissance era maybe yeah. in, in like yeah. jakarta yeah. or something just kidding exactly um, yeah, no, I, I think this is a cool game. I liked the uh, spatial puzzle element of, you know, you have to move around in the Golem One Year Wagon, I think. You have to move to the yes, right space yep. at the right times. And then isn't there something, it's been a minute since I've played this, isn't there something about this that kind of like locks off spaces? So you, is it you can't occupy the same one at the same time? Or? You have to pay people, so oh, you block each right. other. So if you land on other people, you actually give them cubes. Uh, again, ideally the crappiest cubes that you have, <laughs> like the yellows. Yeah. But if you don't, you have to give them whatever you have, so like maybe better cubes. Uh, also, if you your late building outposts or their houses i think in the other version so if you build a house later the first one's free the second one's one cube the third one is two cubes the fourth one is three cubes so like be first or pay cubes (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and and in this one though are the golem edition is actually pretty big plastic gems if i remember correctly yep yep, kind of like oversized gems uh but yeah not approved by cars and cubes it's a fun little game i've actually I don't own this one. I played played somebody else's copy, so I, I still don't own any Century games. But uh, yeah. yeah, I get th- thumbs up on this one for me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, spoilers, I also don't own them. I like this one the most, but I've, it's still kind of a lighter game, and I'm just not super huge. But if I were to buy one personally, I would buy the second one. So that's, that's it. Golem or yep. Boats. Golem or boat, yeah, Eastern Wonders or Eastern Mountains, I guess. Which one would you buy? You don't want Wonders. Actually, um, I definitely would buy the non-Golem one. I enjoyed the cubes. I enjoyed the dryness of trading in the Mediterranean and this one in particular, unfortunately. <laughs> so suck on that theme, people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it still has a theme, and I think it's just like more serious and like less ridiculous, in my opinion. And I like that more, just 
personal preference, I guess. Yeah, it, I, the tactile feel of the gems was kind of fun. Horrible. Uh, they're, they're, they're sharp <laughs> and they poke your fingers. <laughs> exactly. So they make you like give your sharpest ones to the people that... <laughs> it hurts to play that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a good one. I enjoyed it. Yeah, anyway, so the third one, which Trevor still hasn't played, uh, is very similar to the first two. However, this one introduces worker placement. Uh, the kind of worker placement where I'm not a huge fan of it. Why? Because unlike the second one where you're walking around, walking around, sailing around, I guess, or maybe riding horses around, riding a carriage around, <laughs> uh, this one you're placing workers to do the conversions or generate resources or acquire these like set collection things that they innovated in this game. So the, this game has like set collection symbols uh, tied with the contract. So when you take the contract they have like a set collection scoring it's a little bit involved i mean it's still like very simple but i'm not going to explain how it works but basically you're collecting symbols that are on contracts so in, in addition to the points on contracts you care about these like powers that are on them plus symbols which might like in combinations with each other the symbol give you more points so they, they have that thing going on uh also they have an effect on the cards which kind of slowly reveals the board which is interesting in that version so you set up a board and a lot of the spaces are actually locked like they're not explored i guess you're exploring the new world uh so when someone starts fulfilling these contracts they receive those tiles from the spaces where they're not explored thematically i guess they're exploring them uh they get some random rewards uh, maybe points maybe resources whatever and they unlock more of the board, so the board gets better and better. Um, they also have discounts of placing workers, so basically it's kind of very worker placement oriented with some interesting mechanics, so if you like worker placements, maybe this is the one for you. However, the weirdness about this one, which I'm not super huge fan of, is you can go... So you have eight workers, right? And you have to place a certain number of workers if the space is empty. If someone is there, you can actually still go there. You have to place one more workers than there are there on the space that you want. And you actually kick them out, but you kick them out in a way which they return, the workers return to their board. So basically, if someone like gets kicked out a lot they just get extractions for free kind of it's like so, the gallerist i don't know i didn't huh it, it sorry just kind of it kind of reminded me of the gallerist gallerist yeah i don't know i don't know if i've actually played a different game with exactly that mechanic so that definitely felt kind of very innovative yes gallerist is similar now i'm remembering you get a benefit for getting kicked out in the gallerist yeah, and then you're able to go back and do the same action. Huh. So maybe it is the same. But anyway, in this game, it kind of felt like uh, haphazardly, randomly, by just player decisions or whatever's on the board, someone might get kicked out a lot, and they basically get like two, or two, three, four, five free actions throughout the game, and that's pretty huge. Um, not super. I don't really how, super appreciate that, to be honest. How long did this game take? 
this it sounds like an involved game but it's they take about the same time as uh, oh, okay. the first one the first one is definitely the shortest i feel like the second and this one take about the same time uh because this one does have maybe the most going on in a way but it's it still goes very fast yeah because like, i was just thinking pretty straightforward that, that type of mechanism with worker placement kind of makes you or license it incentivizes you to kind of pay attention to what other people need, but I don't know if that yeah. actually like played into it. Yeah, you're talking about people who uh, like strategize a lot. <laughs> otherwise, it's just <laughs> otherwise just, it's just, just pure like, randomness. Yeah, just chase chase the color of cubes you want. <laughs> uh, someone someone has like twenty points, then more points than someone else. Definitely kick them out. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, that uh, sounds good. No, it's it's fine. I mean, actually, it's it's like not bad, uh, but I I just kind of would didn't have the best experience with like uh maybe choosing the right spaces or something or just being lucky to be kicked out uh, by haphazardly by people just being interested in the different conversions that i wasn't interested in uh but anyway that's kind of the thing about this game is the worker placement aspect of it so if you like worker placement it's the one for you um <laughs> yeah not I, super I would, approved by me i would probably try this one but it sounds like I would still end up with the second one still being my favorite. Yeah, I would, uh, between the three, I would say I like the second one the most. This one probably the second best of the three and the first one probably the least. Uh, even though this one, I think the third one has maybe the most mechanics kind of going on. I'm not super sold on. I feel like just by, if if it wasn't, the workers return and are available. If the workers return and are, and are not available, I think I'd be actually perfectly fine with this game. Um, I think the set me up situation that kind of can happen between people is not a really great addition. Yeah, and that's that's something interesting that happens with um, games that are kind of a of a lighter design when they try to become heavier. And you can't really change the DNA of what the game is. And so if you introduce a bit of weight, but you're still, like you said, there's still kind of that randomness that is just kind of in, in, uh, Gollum, or not Gollum, in Sentry's DNA. Maybe it just doesn't quite like it, land the right way with some players, it yeah. sounds like. The weird thing is this game is not that random. I guess it is. There is some kind of, you can call it randomness, just people's decisions. Like the person who reveals the board also has a lot of power because they're basically choosing which conversion happens first. So if it's something that they like, but I mean, everyone shares the same cards. So it's not like they have personal advantage by having a card that no one else has but uh people have control over people's fates a lot and i'm not really a huge fan of that in games in general so maybe that's a thing for me uh before finishing the series actually another very interesting thing about this one uh, this game has something very unique compared to other games and that is that you can combine games and that's pretty crazy because in the third one there's like four rule books. There's a rule book for one plus three. There's a rule book for two plus three. There's a rule book for three. And there's a book, book, rule book for one plus two plus three. <laughs> so, so basically <laughs> all possible combinations 
or have a different rulebook. Uh, funny thing is, like, if you read one rulebook, it might reference like, oh, look at this other rulebook for how this works. <laughs> you're just like you're solving a logical puzzle of like connecting the rulebooks <laughs> to each other. Oh but, my gosh! But uh, the funny thing is, uh, the game is kind of simple, so you kind of get the idea. But if it was a larger game, that would be a complete nightmare. But I think it's because it's kind of simple, it works. So that's fine. Uh, so I actually played the one plus two together. The second game also has the same thing. You can it has a rule book for two or just one plus two. Uh, and I did play one plus two together, which was actually interesting. Um, I was going to mention, so the way it works is it does have a card market. If I remember correctly, I can't remember exactly how you buy from it. I think it's the same way as the first one, or maybe you spend cubes or something. But the cool thing is if you combine one plus two, uh, the boat movement is not just, um, like whatever it was a set number plus you can spend cubes the the fuel for the boats is actually cards that you played so it's kind of an interesting it turns into a really weird game where you're playing cards to do the conversions and then using the cards for fuel for the boats to move the boats to different places to do conversions there so it, it i think it's a very kind of elegant way to integrate the first and the second game uh, very interesting actually i think it was actually sort of successful even though it does bring the cards into the game from the first game so there is kind of some kind of luck with like if you want a particular card then it's not available or something so it does have that element but i thought the idea to like instead of the boat moves like one or two or whatever it was uh you actually spend your cards as movement so you can rest and pick up your cards eventually and that's um, how that works the third one we actually played one plus two plus three which I should say was just a little bit ridiculous <laughs> because just brings, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It brings the cards, it brings part of the board because they can't bring the whole board because the game would just become like a bloat bloated nightmare. So like you throw away some tiles and you set up a little board where you can sail and they replace like one fourth of the main board of the third game with sail type actions. So basically you can work your placement, work your place to sail. <laughs> So, so, so it, it just kind of, as you can tell, becomes, I think, a little bit um, uh, just ridiculous. The game actually doesn't increase in length, but I think it actually cuts parts from the third game and the second and the first to where I feel like it kind of waters down the all three games individually. Um, I actually probably would like the third one by itself or maybe just with the first one where again i think it just introduces a worker placement space to pick up cards uh but i think the boats plus the third game gets just a little bit ridiculous i mean there's just kind of a lot of game going on and there's also the sideboard with the cubes where you reveal things and it just kind of it it kind of waters down the experience in my opinion so and i also think it might be better even though it's simple to learn it might be better to play the games individually and if you're feeling experimental then start combining them because it, it gets a little weird especially with the third one uh one plus two i think actually was a pretty successful combination but i think that's a very unique thing in this game is that you can actually like literally play them as like modules of each other or something and it actually works pretty successfully i think uh that the reason for that being is they're by the same designer and they were published in a close time period so he was able to kind of in his mind i think design them with the maybe even with the intention that they would be linked so it works pretty well so that's very unique 
You know, it's kind of funny in, in that same thought, and, and this is actually a game I should have mentioned in our general discussion up front, is the actually some Protocols of the... Protocols Club. Blah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's just an abomination that we won't talk about. Uh, so the, <laughs> I should say Protocols Club is an awesome game. The abomination is combining Protocols Club with... Uh, Last Will. Last Will, which unlike Century is the exact opposite of an elegant integration. I think it's kind of an accidental we should probably (laughs) we should probably not do this but we're gonna do this anyway type of integration so uh prodigal club by itself is a good game i don't know about last will i didn't really play it much it might be a decent game both of them together not so much we actually did play the full game of last will just (laughs) it was mixed with everything else (laughs) try at your own risk but uh yeah anyway yep Uh, i was gonna gonna say? say that there have been requests that are never going to be uh, responded to by the designer, but there have been requests to like be able to play all of the West Kingdom games in one <laughs> giant game, and basically, like the I've seen responses in BGG forums from Shem Phillips being like, "Why would you ever want to do that?" Y- yes, I would say, <laughs> "Why would you want to do this to yourself?" Because yeah. just just Paladins alone is like two and a half hours. If you, exactly. If you do, if you do, if you add more to it, that'd be like an all day game yeah. or something. And like people have been asking for a big box that holds all three games in the same box, and he's like, "Why would you ever want to do that?" That makes no sense yeah uh but they act that actually is kind of a serial type game the, the i haven't played all of the uh, north kingdom games but the west kingdom games they're they're different games they're all different games from each other so they're not like <laughs> iterating DNA, but but yeah they have similar dna and kind of use similar systems in different ways so that's that's just another one i'd i would mention um and they actually yep. do have a way you can play them in succession in kind of a semi campaign but not really um but yeah so uh did you have anything else you wanted to add on Sentry? No, uh, not really. Uh, like I say, kind of enjoyable games. I'm probably mostly I mostly like the second one. I would definitely play them. Um, cool games, yeah. Uh, just very interesting series with the integration stuff. But no, that's that's it. No, uh, kind of a notable thing because I played all three of them and their combinations recently, so they're kind of fresh on my mind. Yeah, well, kind of by chance, before we started talking about making this a podcast episode, I also recently have played all of the Azul games. Uh, So that's what I was going to bring up. Um, So the first one, and these are all Michael Kiesling games, the first one was released back in 2017, I believe, and you wouldn't know it, but these games actually do have a theme. (laughs) Um, I think it's all something around uh, some Portuguese king and like building his bathroom and then his then his church windows and then his summer pavilion or something like that I don't know Uh, but basically this game is um, 
It's very abstracted. Extremely famous. Yes. <laughs> should, should say. Extremely Pre- famous. Pre- preface this by like, if you haven't played Azul and you're into board games, that's just weird, man. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't like it or own it, but I've played it like multiple times yeah. because you just can't escape this game. Yeah. Like, welcome out from under the rock. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if you haven't heard of or played this game. Um, so basically, the, the core concept of all... Uh, the Azul games is you're drafting tiles to then combine in different arrangements on your individual player board in order to score points in different ways. Um, so in the first game, which is just called Azul, you've got, uh, depending on the player count, a number of discs, which I think are called factories. Yeah, no, I was going to say the unique thing also is it's almost like a nice split you choose mechanic and i think that's what made azul really cool and like famous is yeah. the things you don't choose go to the middle but exactly yes, also the funniest thing is they're called factories and they look anything unlike factories <laughs> it's they a circular like, disc <laughs> they look like uh plates like china plates to me with the decorations on them yeah like, that's not what a factory we're, looks we're like, serving man. up a bunch of yellow and blue cakes <laughs> yep. on, on plates but yeah they're factories sure yeah yep. So um, on each factory, uh, you're, there's it, at the start of a round there will be four of these uh, four of these tokens. These in in the first game it's squares, candy. And, yeah, the candy. You just pick it up and break your teeth. <laughs> uh, so you pick all of a color, and then uh, on a disc or from the middle, and then everything you don't pick either stays in the middle, or if you're picking from one of these factory discs, it goes to the middle. Um, and then, so in this first game, you're you're trying to collect um, colors and, and, like, arrange it so it gets in rows. So the way that these discs are, or these tokens are added to your personal, like, mosaic is there are five rows where you can a lot colors once you pick them and they each row correspond has a number of spaces corresponding to the number of row it is. So the first row has one space, second row has two spaces. And when you, at the end of a round, when you have a full row, you take one of that, uh, one of that, the di- uh, squares in that row and you add it to your mosaic. And, and so you're uh, building your, your personal mosaic, by completing these rows and then you score points you score more points by having kind of these these tokens added adjacent to each other and and uh and then at the end of the game you score more you i think you score seven points for each completed column you score an additional two points per each completed row and then you score an additional uh 10 points if you have all of a color meaning you have over the course of the game, you've fulfilled a five-length row with a color and a four-length row, a three-length row, a two-length row, and a one-length row. So you are you have gotten basically five five successful rows with the same color. You get additional points. So anyway, you just, you just do that over the course of the game and, and um, add your score up at the end, and whoever has the most points wins. Um, this one, I think, I don't know if it's my least favorite one. I've been playing this one a lot lately on BGA. Uh, recently, Board Game Arena, and I've actually come to really like the two-player game of this. I- interestingly enough, because it's it's actually pretty cutthroat. Uh, you know, as a drafting game, you're kind of 
not only are you paying attention to what you want, but you're also particularly paying attention to how you can screw your neighbor over <laughs> because you're, yep. uh, you're, you don't want them to get the stuff that's really good for them. So that's, I've found that that's a fun, to me, a fun kind of calculation to play, uh, play out in, in this game. Um, I guess I'll ask you what your favorites are once we get to the end of this. I'll just kind of spit out the rest of them and then we can circle back. Uh, unless you had something you wanted to add. Oh, were you going to ask about my favorites now or later? Uh, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll just uh, go through the other two real quick. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, so then the second game is Azul Stained Glass of Sintra. Uh, this one uh, has the same drafting mechanism. There's nothing different there except that uh, you can... Oh, in the first one, I guess, if you take more than can fit, uh, you add them to this bottom row that, like, if you take more than you need, you end up getting negative points. Uh, that exists here, too. But so in the in the second version or, of Azul's, the stained glass of Century, you're building or effectively making stained glass windows. Uh, this kind of has what I call the typewriter effect. Uh when you're drafting these these uh, squares to put into your windows, you have this little figurine called a glazier, um, and which you have how many columns? Probably like eight columns in on on your player Good bo- guess. area. It is actually eight. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, so you have eight columns in front of you that have five spaces each. And, and the, they're basically window panes, and so they have different colors on them that ne- you need to slot in different colors to fill that up. And so when you place the, when you draft your, your squares and put them on your window, you have to move your glazer to the window pa- uh, column where you just put your stuff, and you are not allowed to put uh, squares in windows that are to the left of the glazer unless you first reset your glazer which actually gives you an option on your turn in this game to not take pieces um, which is interesting Uh, other than that the scoring is a little bit different in this one you score um, points basically when you complete a window column you score the points for the value that is under that column plus everything to the right of it that already has w- at least one square in it so you could score potentially like 20 points or or you know 50 it's very common to score 15 points once you complete a window pane if you've if you've kind of set it up right you, know, you know, complete a couple of columns to the right first and then go back and do the ones at the left and then score a bunch of points that way um, and then you do you do lose points at the end of the game for breaking glass, which is taking more than you need. Um, and then there's uh, each player board has two different ways to score points at the end of the game, uh, which is either getting the most of a color and multiplying it by your completed windows, or just like how many. Uh, it, it's basically just it's it's based around what what windows you completed during the game. I won't get into too much detail. Um, so that's the second game. The third game is called Summer Pavilion, Azul Summer Pavilion. And in this game, you're drafting, what are these, diamond shapes? Um, and you're effectively fulf- building out a summer pavilion for uh, King Manuel, I think. Yep, there he is, King Manuel, the king yep, of, of yep. Portugal. Um, so on this one, you're you're 
trying to complete uh, these star shapes on your player board, and this one introduces a new way of of getting uh, the tiles onto your board. You actually have to. So everybody drafts all the all the diamonds or the whatever pavilion tiles uh, during the drafting round, and then only at the end of the round are you placing. Um, and the the placement has a cost associated with it now, which is that so there's there's a each of the stars has six spaces in it and numbered one through six. And based on the number of the of the spot you're placing, you have to spend that many tiles. So if I want to place in the four yellow spot, I have to place I have to get rid of four yellow tiles and or wild tiles because you can have wild tiles in this. And uh then I put one tile in and, and discard the rest of them. So it adds kind of a different way that you're putting tiles onto your player mat. Uh, this one also introduces this concept of when you surround certain features on your player mat, you get additional tiles. So I think there's a way to get one, two, and three additional tiles from a new concept in this one too, which is a central kind of market of tiles. So you can uh, maybe have somewhat more control over getting the tiles you need if you kind of got screwed out of drafting them or if the color you need just wasn't drawn out of the bag of tiles that round. Um, so that that's kind of how that one iterates on on the system. There's actually a new one coming out soon called the Queen's Garden. And you bet. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't even know that it was coming out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... But what a, a surprise, right? I think it's actually a 2021 game, but it is only, I think, available in Germany right now. But it should be hitting the U.S. soon. Um, but this one is actually taking it to a new level um, by the drafting mechanism is you're actually... So the way it works in this one is you do not have a like a circle of factories where you're pulling tiles from. You have a stack of these garden additions, which is a, a basically a hexagon of hexagons, <laughs> which it's like it's a it's a a hexagon of smaller hexagons that you'll add to your personal player board to then later put uh, hexagon t uh, garden tiles onto it. But the way you draft in this one is, so at the start of a round, there will be a stack of these garden edition tiles. And on top of that stack, there will be four, uh, four of the tokens that you normally draft. And what you do to draft a token is you either take all of one color or you take all of one symbol because they have made the uh, the drafting more complicated now. So you take all your tiles that, and you choose a pattern, but they must all have different colors, or you take all the tiles um, of a chosen color, but that have different patterns. So you don't take tiles in the same way in this one. So I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how that works. Um, and you end up actually drafting the garden expansion tiles as part of that because once a once you draft well first of all once you draft from the main stack that garden expansion tile and all remaining tiles on it is taken off and then you put more tiles out so you don't start the round with all the tiles that are going to be available in the in the round visible so it kind of reveals as the round goes on and then once you have drafted all tiles off of 
a garden expansion tile, that tile flips and then it has a pre-printed one pre-printed tile or garden tile on it. So it then becomes one of the options that you draft. And so that's how you can uh, build out your garden and, uh, and expand it. Uh, so then any, everything you draft is then put in a storage board, which is separate from your garden board. And then one of your choices in this game is actually building on your garden instead of drafting tiles. So basically it's kind of iterating on the drafting mechanism and also making the game such that your your only option is not just draft, but you're also trying to build out groups and match symbols and do things on your board. Because at the end of the game, you score points based on groups of symbols and groups of colors uh, that you're able to place. And there are placement restrictions. I think you can't put two identical tiles in the same group. Uh, basically, there's there's a little more to it than that, but I won't get into too many details for sake of uh, this episode. Um, but anyway, so lots of iterations on on this system, and I th- of the ones I've played to date, I think my favorite one is still Syndra, the second one. So I'm sensing a theme here. The second one, <laughs> the second one seems to be the best. Um, and and the reason I liked the second one a lot is that it gave you an option to sort of delay having to draft when you don't want to draft, which sounds like it's going to be a m- even bigger part in Queen's Garden. So I might like end up liking Queen's Garden a lot. Um, I think the first one is is good. Um, it's very, very simple and, and kind of really snappy to play. So for that reason, I like it. Summer Pavilion has a bit more game in it uh, because you are trying to you're trying to place in specific places so that you can get specific bonuses from that central market. Um, I don't I don't know which one I like more between the first and the third. Honestly, I feel like the third has a bit more game, but it also has maybe even more randomness because it kind of just has that middle market that can uh, that can be good or bad just depending on on who takes from it. Um, and you're just like replenishing it with random tiles. So it may be good, it may may not. And so it, that one kind of strikes that that chord of the, what I was kind of mentioning earlier where the the simple game is heading into a heavier territory, but the mechanisms don't necessarily follow it all the way. And so it still has a, a bit of a light feel, but with a heavier-ish game to it. It's, it's hard to hard to explain what, what I'm trying to get at, but maybe what I'm saying is my ranking is uh, Stained Glass of Sintra is the best, and then maybe the Summer Pavilion is my current least favorite. But, uh, but how do you like them? Uh... I think Sintra is also my favorite. And actually, when you're talking about it, it's kind of funny. I remember when I was a noob and I saw Azul for the first time and people were saying this is the new It game. Actually, I kind of kept hearing that it's the new It game before we ever played it. Uh, And actually, I think what's cool about Azul, which is very interesting that they're changing it, is actually the drafting. Um, I think the drafting feels really 
good and unique uh, that I split you choose uh, situation where the color you pick, the rest goes in the middle. So am I like setting up people and you're hoping that a certain number accumulates in the middle so you can get it and like people get it from you and you cry tears of pain. But um, the scoring of all games is actually very abstract. <laughs> so I actually remember the first one, we got the scoring wrong. You might uh, be amazed to hear that uh, we got it wrong. But um, I think it's not super intuitive in the first one because I think uh, something like if you push tile, you score like one for every connected tile or something. It's actually been a while, so I can't even remember how you score. Yeah, it's um, based on how many are in the column and row. Yeah, and, yeah, and like adjacent, like it, it's not just how many are in it, but it's it adjacencies. Yeah, and, so, and yeah. So the first time we played it, we got it wrong, and I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Uh, but then we did play it right, and it's a good game. But I feel like all of them have that theme of like the drafting feels really cool, and then you're just inputting your colors into some weird like abstract machine spreadsheet where you output some points at the end. Uh, to me, actually, the second one, one thing that's cool about it is it has actually somewhat of a theme. Like the first one, yeah, you say that you're building some palace and the third one, you're making a pavilion, but you're freaking doing like, first one, you're literally doing a spreadsheet, which is hilarious. The third one, you're like filling these circles and just filling them in a spinny way <laughs> it's like pure set collection the second one i think actually what i like is uh you actually have this little guy and you can kind of imagine him in like in a weird way if, obviously because it's still a game and it's abstract like he can't move right like why but you can imagine him imagine him kind of uh maybe being on a construction platform and he's like on ropes and he's going down and like assembling these windows or whatever um and it kind of even makes sense that maybe he's assembling the same color because maybe he like works in batches so he does all blue windows then all red windows or whatever i mean it's all kind of silly but it does add to kind of the game feeling a little bit less like a spreadsheet even though you maybe don't care about the theme while they're playing it obviously but i think it's just like the cooler uh, coolest theme of the three if you're talking about the thin theme <laughs> that exists yeah. out there um also yeah i think the typewriter thing where you can skip a draft uh sounds kind of weird that why would you want to skip a draft but like the game forces everyone to do it and i think like you say it makes sense sometimes because the way the game is and actually speaking of your two-player game experiences i think uh the game gets maybe worse as far as strategy the more players you add because the more players you add the more chaos uh, ensues because there's now three people between you and your next turn and if you push some color to the middle maybe the next person pushes more of that color and maybe some other person is like well i'll just get that color even though i wasn't planning on it and you're just like bah! so there's kind of a lot of chaos of the, with more people of uh, just moves happening that are unexpected and chaos and things changing a lot which is kind of a thing with these games and I'm not surprised with a two player game that it's maybe the most strategic unfortunately probably also the most cutthroat because you're just worrying about one person and it's probably pretty simple to figure out uh, exactly what they need and exactly what you don't want to give to them. So. <laughs> yeah, so you take that thing and they don't get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I bet it becomes very like hateful and kind of split points, and but probably the spreadsheet can be figured out exactly. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so not yeah. maybe i don't know i actually kind of enjoy maybe three the best but it, it's fine like it's it's uh, i don't expect high strategy out of these games even though there is a lot of control but the way the tiles come out is pretty huge obviously in the games and again who you're sitting next to and what they happen to want that round and even though it might not make sense for them to get yeah and i should say even though i th- i i don't know if if the summer pavilion one is actually the one i like the least i, I would probably say the first and the third are kind of tied for me but I, I i like all of them and i'll play any of them i think they're they're all good games yeah yeah i still like them i don't own any of them because they're just not the type of game i would own i would probably get the second one again uh the first and the third you're right they're very very similar to me uh the first is obviously the og hazul with um i don't know just the one that started it all that started the ridiculous 500 hundred dollar case of huge tiles and <laughs> oh yeah and I insanity and like i looked at the reward list that it has on bg it's like 40 rewards or awards sorry not reward awards 40 awards from different conventions and uh what are not conventions uh different sources i guess whatever organizations so um it just has that like charm of being the original game um summer pavilion I don't know. It's it's fine, but it feels very abstract. And yeah, it has the thing where you can get now tiles from outside the game, the usual ways, which was the new thing, I think, in it. Because in the first one and the second one, basically, you're at the mercy of the factory and that mechanic this one you can actually get like extra different exclusive tiles and you can time things and that's like kind of the the little pool of the summer pavilion i don't know if that's a huge pool for me i think the first one and the third one like you say are about tied for me i'm actually very curious and um i didn't i haven't looked into it about queen's garden and what they're changing with the drafting mechanic because i think them changing the uh scoring mechanic is how they've designed the other games but like the drafting mechanic you don't mess with the drafting mechanic man that's azul <laughs> so i'm kind of curious if hopefully they did a good job with like changing it but i'm i'm afraid that it might change kind of the feel of the game or something i don't I, know i think it's going to have still a similar feel you're you're probably well actually i don't know because um I was going to say, you're probably not going to end up with a situation where you're drafting like seven of the same tile. Um, <laughs> and but, three of them break and everyone's yeah, laughing around exactly. the table. <laughs> yeah. uh, the way this works is you have a storage board that can hold two of those cottage or the garden expansions. And then I don't know how many, maybe like nine of the actual tiles. And the, the mechanism is that if you don't have room for it, you can't draft it. So, um, the, and, and the drafting is based on not only colors, but now symbols that are on the, the pieces. So you're trying to find the right combinations. And when you're drafting, so if you're drafting from like the, the top pile on the stack of piles is allocated for that round, you're then revealing more for the other players, which could result in like more. So I think that the general feel might still be there but it's going to be different um yeah yeah kind th- of different feeling yeah exactly because because your drafting will likely or potentially create opportunities for other players so 
it 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 visually is going to be different, I think, but maybe the feel will be kind of similar. But I think it's actually going to be the drafting decisions are hopefully going to be even more interesting because there's two layers to it. Yeah, and it looks like they're also doing some more on the spatial arrangements type of things, and yes. I actually kind of like that. Uh, it looks like you're like, trying to make blobs of symbols and yep. colors and stuff. So, and there yeah, are actually placement restrictions, so like you can't place two identical tiles next to each other. I see. So. Yeah, no, it actually looks like they're pushing the complexity up, which is actually good because, uh, to be honest, maybe Azul and like Sentra are kind of more, um, a little bit more towards like the Splendor Century type games, which actually is great uh, for a lot of people. I just kind of wanted maybe more out of it. So I think also Sentra has maybe the most kind of uh, mechanics going on. So I think, uh, yeah, this one actually looks good. I'm always interested in Azul because, it's, like I say, it's just been such a huge huge franchise like i'd be amazed if you haven't at least heard of it i guess i shouldn't like uh shame you for not having played azul and you call yourself a board gamer or something <laughs> but uh but you've probably heard of it and i mean it's just unavoidable i think it's like basically it's been an amazing golden goose for plan b i guess who was i think the original publisher and i think the fine thing is they're trying to replicate it with um, I don't think anyone really even expected it to be that huge, and I think they've tried to replicate it with other games, uh, maybe like Reef as well. I think I remember recently, and they just hope and to bees. find to, yeah bees. They tried. They're hoping to find like another Azul, but not so easy, unfortunately. So yeah, it's um, it's just a thing that gets played sometimes. That's my. <laughs> That's my uh, yeah. synopsis of this game. Hey, speaking me, of a, speaking me. of serial games, that's actually kind of Plan B Games' uh, uh, overarching series serial uh, game series is that they're doing four letter games. Oh yeah, the also the hilarious thing is uh, both Azul and Century. Uh, incidentally, we didn't even think about it, but they are from Plan B. So there you go. Plan B They've is done it. Uh, the serial game publisher apparently. the serial game killer <laughs> <laughs> no not killer no. just publisher yeah publisher so yeah yeah but uh as well as a uh, it, it's a game <laughs> it is a game <laughs> that's, that's 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 my feeling about it yeah welcome to cards and cubes where we can identify what games are very inoffensive very abstract um everyone gets to enjoy it yeah although Century a new world. Is there anything in there that is like I don't know, related to like oh, like colonists and yeah. stuff and like PC stuff? No, it's very abstract. I mean, it's not really even well explained what you're doing, but I'm guessing you're establishing like uh colonies or whatever and you're cutting the forest down, just forest. Um that's yeah, about not, it. Not the people who live in the forest. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um <laughs> so now it's very like the the themes are not even well explained that I don't think you really care about themes when you're playing like Azul or Century. I know a lot of games it's kind of cool to think about the theme but for me as all in century are games where like oh yeah I, I don't totally abstract the theme, like whatever yeah like uh you're on camels and you're trading you're just playing cards the whole game and like the first as all you're like tiling uh the walls of the palace of uh, whatever it was evora or something and it's just basically you're putting symbols on a square table so yeah yep 
but it's it's fine uh, like i say of the azul the theme comes out most in the second one i would say century the first one has like no theme i mean yeah you're not a caravan whatever who cares you're just playing cards second one is actually pretty thematic because you're moving a boat around so you can kind of imagine that you're delivering spices around third one also relatively thematic because yeah you go to places i don't know how you explain kicking people out and then they come back later with more people that's like i don't know like the kicking the workers out thing but it does feel like you're like exploring a new land more the board gets revealed as you play the game so yeah it's it's a thing yeah themes are a thing cool well i think that'll be an episode uh yep. thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you in a couple of weeks yes and actually i wanted to say that in a couple of weeks it's probably going to be impressions from salt con so we're looking forward to salt con and uh you'll hear probably what we played and ended up happening next time Carnes and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com or visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com we'd like to thank kirsten adams for designing our logo find more of kirsten's art on instagram at cat coffee that's k-a-t-c-o-f-f-e-e we'd also like to thank Lindsay hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks